Sunday, the 1st of August. I'm Randy Kure. This is What's Up With Sports Podcast. Thank you so much for the download. Hope you are doing well and keeping safe. Uh, these days, as we are now 16 months into the pandemic, I'm sure a lot of us are thinking these are these have been the longest 16 months of our lives. Uh, in Canada, the case rate of new infections is on the decline, but Coronavirus, uh, of course, is far from over. Thrilled to welcome back uh, to the podcast, Dr. Kathan Shankardas, epidemiologist from Wilfrid Laurier University. Uh, he joined me back in May of 2020 when the sports world and the world itself was just coming to grips with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. He is gracious enough to share his expertise once again. Dr. Shankardas, thank you so much. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Randy. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. So amongst uh, what we will discuss today is, of course, uh, what uh, we, the general public, may expect as we return uh, to such public places like gyms, stadiums, non-sports uh, facilities like restaurants or taverns. Uh, the Olympics in Tokyo are currently underway as Japan is currently in a lockdown. Fans are not permitted inside their respective venues. And of course, uh, look back of how sports leagues in North America operated more so uh, during the 2020-21 uh, uh, calendar year. But uh, before uh, we get started, uh, Dr. Shankardas, I have to tip my hat to you because uh, during our interview in May of 2020, you had suggested that uh, the leagues, especially in North America, consider a an Olympic village-like, uh, isolated, uh, bubble-like format, which uh, they did weeks after the fact. Uh, congratulations on your hypothesis, since uh, that format really hadn't been executed ever uh, in a sporting capacity. Well, yeah, except for the Olympics. I mean, but, but it's, it had never been really tested as like a way to, to do sports during a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just uh, to confirm, you don't, you're not able to predict like lottery numbers and so on, right? Like you're not. <laughs> uh, I can, but uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do any of that here. Is today. that right? Oh, okay. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> so uh, Dr. Uh, with regards to uh, when we last chatted in May of 2020, uh, the sports world, uh, especially in North America, was at a standstill. Uh, that said, uh, the uh, NBA and NHL continued their uh, seasons in a bubble. Of course, the NBA was in Orlando, Florida. Uh, the NHL uh, had uh, two venues in Toronto and Edmonton. Uh, MLS began uh, their season with a bubble format also in Orlando. Major League Baseball uh, played their home games in uh, their own uh, venues uh, within their own respective cities. Toronto was in Buffalo. Uh, did you come across any uh, data with regards to uh, how each environment operated? Uh, in, a, in a health perspective, was it a success? Um. I mean, I think there's kind of two ways to think about that. And this kind of goes back to what I was, I guess, the way I was thinking about it the last time we talked. Um, I think like if you're going to try and run leagues during a pandemic, uh, there's a threat to the health and safety of the players, the teams, you know, the the staff of those teams. Um, and then there's the threat to the health and safety of the communities that those um, leagues are operating in right so uh, and this is kind of what we're seeing with the Olympics right now is there's both like concern about are are the athletes safe or the trainers safe but there's also the fact that Tokyo is going through um, 
you know, a, a wave. Uh, they're in the midst of, I think, maybe the worst part of the pandemic for them and is bringing a bunch of players from all over the world, a bunch of athletes and staff um, into there, a good idea. Will it just, um, is it accelerant on the fire for what's going on outside of the Olympics? Um, and so, it, you know, now data is always gonna be really challenging to come by with these sorts of situations. And, um, and that's largely because when I looked into what the leagues had done, um, I think they actually were smart, most of them, in that they were learning over time. So they didn't just kind of say, you know, here's our plan for the league and this will be safe. You know, we think they'll be safe and then press go and they just kind of stuck to it. Um, virtually every league had to kind of pivot and had to um, learn how to be ever more safe, had to um, change as, as locations became more um, engulfed in the pandemic, um, where games are playing. Um, and so over time, I think they kind of managed to figure out a relatively safe way of, of keeping players and staff safe. Um, I think for the most part, those leagues did. Um, I think the NBA seemed to have the most success. Um, uh, I, I think I mean, I found a really interesting uh, breakdown. This is not like epidemiology, but a breakdown in Forbes actually about how, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, the revenues of the four um, sports leagues, like the NBA, the NHL, no, the MLB, and the NFL, um, compared to the pre-pandemic year, 2019 revenue, looking at how 2020 revenue fared when they were all kind of trying to adapt and do something. And, and the NBA and the NHL, barely lost any revenue actually um, in 2020. Um, and I think that speaks to kind of their ability to keep the league operating um, without like too many uh, team-based outbreaks that slowed things down, that cost money because there had to be extra games. Um, whereas Major League Baseball and the NFL lost a lot of money. And so that, that might indicate something about like the number Certainly, maybe it's costlier to delay an NFL game than it is to delay like a an NBA game, maybe. Um, but I think that speaks to some extent to how much the pandemic affected those leagues um, and their ability to put on their usual show. So um, now, having said that, I mean, if you look at data, all, all of these leagues experienced um, outbreaks from time to time. Um, but I didn't really see uh, much of any data that these leagues uh, affected the wider communities. So like I, I was saying, you want to think about like, are they going to be a threat to health and safety of the teams themselves and then the broader community? Um, and so in general, I think they kind of, the leagues did a good job of protecting fans. Um, and, uh, and that was usually because they were either not allowing fans into watch games in person, or they were doing it in a way where there was social distancing and masks and and so I think, you know, uh, I think that's a credit to these leagues that they kind of um, took care of the fans. Um, uh, but I think they had variable success with keeping their players and staff healthy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you talk about uh, the fact that the, the two leagues that you mentioned made money or uh, uh, barely, uh, barely lost revenue as opposed to Major League Baseball and the NFL. I'm wondering uh, and uh, uh, not knowing if you are uh, specifically aware of what the contributing factors were, but because Major League Baseball and the NFL uh, played in their own home ballparks, uh, like travel must have been such a such a huge concern uh, mm -hmm. that because uh, travel, of course, was at nil for the uh, NBA and the NHL that uh, and it was a concern as well. I know that in the baseball uh, uh, that they were thinking of having their games in Arizona and Florida, because that's where their preseason is spring training uh, mm -hmm. in those two States. Uh, and of course, uh, Arizona and Florida were, especially at the time, very, uh, very deep in uh, the case count, uh, especially at uh, 2020. Uh, everything uh, said, I mean, the fact is, is that there was going to be trial and error. And I know that there was a number of suspensions and they were very strict with regards to uh COVID-like suspensions, uh, the fact that uh, players had to quarantine if they did uh, 
uh, either break curfew if they did go outside uh, mm -hmm. their uh, the bubble, uh, which was a, a number of cases uh, as well. So yeah, and the NFL actually they just recently announced their um, their plan for the 2021 season. And it's very kind of smart in terms of that, you know, the carrots and sticks um, to kind of keep teams in line. And, and really vaccinations are the main game changer now is that like teams can vaccinate players and vastly reduce any kind of risk of serious uh, health impacts. And um, and I think the NFL is kind of really incentivizing um teams to get their players vaccinated so they're not making it mandatory that if you play in the nfl you have to be vaccinated but they are saying for example i think if a team uh has an outbreak and and that outbreak is linked to unvaccinated members of the team then there are penalties for the team so mm. the team is kind of incentivized to like do their best to try to convince everyone to get vaccinated and then if they can't vaccinate everyone you know really take precautions to try to avoid any um, so they're really, they've set it up in a way that kind of um, incentivizes the teams to be really good actors. Um, yeah, and uh, sorry, I, sorry, I uh, uh, didn't mean to interrupt, but uh, yeah, and we're definitely going to talk about the uh, the whole, uh, I guess, uh, morals or ethics, lack of a better term, for uh, those uh, willing and not willing to take uh, that vaccine. Uh, but uh, doctor, the... Uh, after uh, uh, the calendar year 2020, uh, leagues and teams did start to welcome fans back into their respective stadiums. Uh, during the uh, 20, uh, 2021 Super Bowl, they did have uh, approximately 25,000 fans uh, in uh, the uh, in Raymond James Stadium in Tampa for the Super Bowl. The capacity is uh, 75,000. Uh, the Daytona 500, just up the street uh, in uh, Daytona Beach, had uh, just under 30% capacity uh, for uh, their signature event. Uh, and in April, with uh, the Toronto Blue Jays uh, as the visitors, the Texas Rangers hosted uh, a near full capacity. They didn't have any uh, physical distancing measures. Uh, the state of Texas uh, did have a leadership that wasn't as vigil vigilant, uh, reports did uh, indicate, with regards to physical distancing, the pandemic in general. Uh, do you recall any, uh, I guess, spikes in cases, uh, whether it be Texas or uh, states that did have events uh, where physical distancing wasn't really uh, at the forefront? Yeah, I, I tried to look, I didn't really see any, any, um, anything related to like that home opener. Um, it, it doesn't mean that um, there wasn't an impact. It's just, yeah, it's, it's going to be kind of hard to, uh, because like a, a home openers, there's a lot of people there, but um you know, will it become a super spreader event? That's always kind of, um, it's not a given, right? Um, and so it seems like I, I couldn't detect any kind of significant shift in the numbers um, in Texas. Um, it's possible that there was something much more local in Houston, but if it was like a big super spreader type event, I think you'd expect to see like an impact on, on um, kind of the wider community. Um, and I didn't really see that when I looked at data for, um, hospitals in Houston or it's kind of Texas overall. Hmm. Because uh, you did mention, especially last year, that, uh, well, you uh, sort of focus on social epidemiology, which is um, how social factors affect health, decisions that are made, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, of course, uh, at a social or political level. And uh, you know, you you wonder, uh, and you said it yourself about super spreader events. Was that home opener in Texas? Uh, the uh, all the characteristics of a super spreader event. Uh, you, you know, you you speak of leadership uh, with regards to uh, well, in a political sense or an executive level sense. Uh, the powers that be in the NHL didn't have a defined standard when it came to fans entering their arenas. 
especially during the 21 playoffs. Uh, regarding the cup final, uh, the eventual cup winning champions, uh, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, they had a full capacity uh, for their arena. The Montreal Canadiens uh, had around, give or take, around a 15% capacity. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you feel that the NHL should have should have had a league-wide mandate, or do you think that uh, they were more so following the provincial and state guidelines and so uh i guess uh acted in good faith for lack of a better term yeah i mean i think like that's the real politics of it with a a sports league is you've got these teams make money for um the governments that of the cities that they play in and the states and the provinces and so it's always going to be a bit of a dance of of um you know, it can't, can the league um, get all of the teams to agree, like the owners of the teams to agree on like a single set of rules or do those rules have to change based on the city? Um, and I think that, you know, it, it happened differently for each league. So like with the NHL and the NBA, they kind of, it seems like they were able to kind of get some collective buy-in for like a, a safety plan and a way forward. And whereas with the other leagues, it seemed like they just weren't able to, I mean, that's what I would guess because they, they kind of did have changing rules, um, in different cities. Um, you know, with, with going back to like the Rangers home opener, um, big outdoor settings are not going to be the most dangerous for, for transmission. Um, and I would guess that they required, uh, masks for people although I'm not 100% sure, I, I did recently read that they're, requi- they're saying if you're fully vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask to a Rangers game anymore. Um, but that would imply that if, if you're not vaccinated, you had to wear a mask. So if people are wearing masks, um, they're in an outdoor open air setting, a big, vast setting. Um, I, I, I think it would be highly irresponsible to, to crush everyone in together and have people sitting next to each other like sardines because you can still have transmission. But if you if you were even just to space things out a little bit and maybe go at 75% capacity or or something like that, I think you could you could have those types of games run relatively safely. Um, and I think that like the 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 next political um, uh, moment that we're kind of dipping our toes into right now, and I think it's going to get a lot more serious, is what to do about unvaccinated people, because um the world is pretty safe for people with vaccines um for now uh if if you're fully vaccinated your risk of having a serious event after you get infected with covid is very very low virtually everyone who's in hospitals and dying of covid these days is unvaccinated and those people are clearly making that choice consciously um in some cases people can't get vaccinated which is unfortunate um, but I think most of those people are people who just don't want to get vaccinated. And so the problem is that um, the, uh, the vaccine, the, I'm sorry, the virus can keep spreading and mutating, and it could then become a big problem for everyone who's vaccinated because our vaccines may become um, ineffective against the second or third generation of, of coronavirus, right? Or the, the, whichever generation of the mutation that that kind of ends up being a substantial um, variation that kind of made yeah. your, your immune system. So, so then, you know, I think the politics here is going to be, do we have a responsibility to keep um, society really carefully um, uh, operating under a lot of safety standards to protect the unvaccinated? Um, and I think the answer is largely going to be yes, because uh, if we, if we allow the unvaccinated to, to transmit the virus, it's going to keep propagating and mutating and become a problem for the rest of society. So even though I think like in this 2020 season of all these leagues, if you only allow vaccinated people into the stadiums, you could probably have a lot more relaxed restrictions. But yeah, um, <laughs> that's going to be a really difficult thing to sell to the public. Um, and so you're if you're going to have unvaccinated people there, you're going to want to have things really carefully, uh, almost as, as carefully as, as during the as during the first year of the pandemic, because we don't want to have any transmission. 
um, even if it's people who are seemingly willingly, you know, unvaccinated and willing to take the risk, we don't want them to get sick because it will only perpetuate this pandemic for everyone. So I think that's kind of the big um, problem with the 2021 season is, is, uh, is what's the tightrope, like what's the walk, the line that we walk um, that kind of gives people a little bit more freedom if you're vaccinated, um, but still really is careful um, because if, you know, we don't want there to be more outbreaks. The vaccines that we developed, which are a miracle <laughs> in the amount of time sure. we developed yeah, them, we, we don't want them to become useless. <laughs> so, um, and, and of course, people who are vaccinated can still get and transmit the virus. Um, they just won't get really sick from it. So, so, you know, if you have unvaccinated people in a stadium with vaccinated people, um, they could still get sick from those vaccinated people. Yeah, and uh, look, uh, I, I'm a guy that does not uh, look up uh, medical conditions and so on. I do not have an education or uh, medical background <laughs> to uh, to decipher what is a legitimate uh, medical source uh, versus not. Uh, and uh, but uh, going back to what you had said uh, with regards to that hard sell of. Uh, to the public with regards to uh, those who are fully vaccinated can attend sporting events. It just seems that it's uh, a huge, uh, uh, such a such a polarizing topic with regards to those, especially who are not vaccinated. Uh, seeing on the news, uh, I, I believe uh, that there's a concern in states like Florida, Alabama, and so on, uh, commu uh, communities that... Uh, are not so much uh, into uh, getting the vaccine. And of course, there's no uh, major pro sports teams in uh, Alabama or Mississippi, but they could pack a, a 100,000 seat stadium with a college game. Yeah. And, uh, and so, I mean, uh, it, that's uh, where uh, definitely a, a lot of problems lie amongst uh, so many much, so much more, you know, uh, the, um, the whole concept of uh, masks, uh, and the use of masks, uh, I believe the, uh, the deal is, is that uh, masks, masks can be removed, uh, when a fan is uh, having uh, something to eat or is drinking something. Uh, but there's a lot of gray uh, yeah, with, uh, with uh, that uh, rule, because, I mean, how are you going to have uh, a hundred or so security guards uh, mm -hmm. policing 40,000 people at, uh, at a, every given time. So, uh, and, and to that, and, you know, I, I'm not really the kind of guy to generalize, but I am really amazed at the efficiency, at the, uh, the lack of efficiency of properly wearing a mask, especially to our friends south of the border. Uh, you know, I, this is a huge generalization. I do apologize, but the times when I do go to a grocery store or a local grocery store, I find that everybody is wearing a mask, quote unquote, properly above the nose, covering the mouth. I, I, I just see, especially on the news, that the whole dynamic of uh, not covering uh, the nose south of the border in other communities around the world it's just not getting across. Uh, I noticed that as well uh, with regards to uh, the NBA, the NHL, uh, Major League Baseball, when uh, in order to uh, have uh, coaches a voice enhanced that they had to remove the mask. Like, how counterproductive is that? Do you have any idea in terms of, uh, you know, removing the mask even for a couple of seconds, just to spit something out, put it back on again, is that defeating the purpose of the mask? Um, I mean, I think it's it's degrees of, of yes or no, but I mean, I think like ultimately, if you're just thinking about coaches on NHL teams, that's a, that's a drop in the ocean, right? So um, that the impact of them doing that on the broader pandemic is gonna be quite, quite minimal they 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 are uh increasing the risk of transmission by removing their mask and shouting instructions at someone but it's not um like in the in the 
in the theoretical sense, they are increasing risk. But right. I think given the number of NHL teams there are and the number of uh, now, if you multiply that across all sports teams and um, uh, it's still not going to be a huge kind of. And then and then the other thing to, to remember is that those leagues have developed systems to kind of like I was saying at the outset of our conversation, you know, kind of if there are going to be outbreaks, they're not generally spreading into the broader community. They're kind of things that are they're, they're doing daily rapid testing they're doing a lot of kind of contact tracing so that when they're in, when there are outbreaks they can quickly kind of put a lid on them um, and that's the one saving grace i think so yeah i mean incorrect mask wearing is is not very helpful um but uh i think when it comes to leagues um the the risk to the broader community is not is not that big i think yeah maybe they're putting their teams at risk um uh, okay. Yeah, uh, in a bigger sense. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm. Uh, I guess it, it is a relief to uh, to hear that because, uh, especially when I'm in a public sense. Now, obviously, I'm surrounded myself by with strangers at the grocery store and uh, so on. But uh, it is, uh, I guess, a, a relief, especially when they are in a as much as a controlled community as you can be with the uh, the daily testing or the uh, frequent testing that athletes and so on have uh so i i guess that is a a good thing to hear uh it, but, but i mean you know it's worth noting that like when you look at the 2020 seasons there were some uh teams and there were some leagues where there were outbreaks that led to um games having to be rescheduled games having to be canceled um there there so there can be those kinds of impacts for sure, and and I think that that really incentivizes teams to to really behave as well as they can because because um, they don't you know if if they're gonna go go out there and compete um, in the midst of a pandemic they don't want to just throw their season away by um, who is it in the uh, I, I had basically noted um, uh, which I know which, that uh, the uh, Miami Marlins had to uh, postpone a number of games. Uh, because of a uh, high uh, number of cases, I believe the Cardinals as well. Uh, there, yeah. but now these are uh, obviously uh, Major League Baseball uh, played uh, their games in their own home respective parks, so uh, they yeah. basically were able to still ingratiate themselves within the community. So uh, they were not isolated as uh, the NFL, uh, NBA, and NHL were. Yeah, I was thinking about the Canucks, actually. So the Canucks had a pretty big outbreak, um, which uh, ended up having a big impact on their on their schedule and on the players mentally, physically. And they ended up last in their division last year. And, um, you know, was it about that outbreak? I mean, if you talk to a sports psychologist, it quite, quite likely could have been. Um, the fact that, you know, an outbreak kind of um, causes them so much uh, interruption and... Uh, um, uh, I, I read a quote from one of their players just kind of talking about how, how much of a burden it's been. Like it, has, it hasn't really been an enjoyable season and just how kind of exhausting it's been um, with, with the outbreaks and, and how stressed out everyone is. And so, yeah, I think like teams really um, are, are incentivized because of the nature of sports to, to really behave well. I would hope so anyway. I mean, yeah, I, and and you do think that, uh, of course, hey, these uh, these are athletes who are getting paid millions and millions of dollars, but obviously they are creatures of habit in the sense that they are, uh, whether uh, they go to, they have a pregame routine, that uh, they do see family, the whole concept of going out of town and uh, visiting new cities and uh, experiencing the nightlife uh, when you are on the road, let alone in your home city. Uh, of course, uh, Toronto uh, is known as one of the top cities in uh, the NBA. Uh, players rave about coming to the city of Toronto. And uh, finally, uh, Toronto is uh, being able to host games. Uh, the Jays are going to be uh, back at uh, Rogers Center for the first time in uh, since uh, September of uh, 2019. So uh, obviously, these are, these are people with a lot of pressures on them. And uh, when you were either asked to play in a bubble or uh, just uh, isolate yourself with around a select group of family or, and your teammates. I mean, yeah, that can be 
uh, a difficult challenge for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, doctor, you know, uh, who knows what uh, uh, the future does bring uh, here in Canada uh, saw statistics that uh, approximately 57% of people are fully vaccinated. I'm fully vaccinated. So incredibly thankful for that. Uh, and uh, as uh, close enough to uh, three quarters of the Canadian population have at least one dose, there is still a lot to be uh, concerned about or be wary about. And when we do uh, get back to a quote unquote normal sense of uh, normal way of life, should there be any concerns when uh, people do go back to to gyms if they were to uh, go back to uh, to do workouts with the uh, training machines that are uh, obviously going to be used by multiple multiple people? I mean, is there similar concerns to a gym as say to a bar once they do? reopen and get much that much closer to being fully reopened Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think there is um and i think what's interesting is with vaccines um the i i think it's a really um interesting experiment we're going into here as if the last year was not an interesting experiment but um you know with the last year when we didn't have vaccines everyone was really, well, most people, people who believed in the pandemic were very much incentivized to, um, to really protect themselves because, and to think about their actions and their behaviors and they're wearing a mask and they're touching their face and hand sanitizer use because there was a real risk to themselves, right? And then there's also the risk to everyone else, which I, I think we've also been kind of learning as a society that, you know, there's, there's, things that we do sometimes to protect other people, um, not just ourselves. I hope, I hope that's been a lesson for this pandemic, um, of this pandemic for, for people. Um, but now that we've got people fully vaccinated uh, getting there and, they, and then not really bearing too much personal risk, um, but there still is the risk of community outbreaks, of this thing getting out of hand, of if that keeps happening of mutations developing that can evade our, our vaccines. Um, and so really now we're kind of hoping that people behave well and safely when they go to the gym, um, when they go to the bar, um, even though they might not feel personally at risk, right? So I think it's, a, it's kind of a different situation from the last year, because in the last year we had everyone incentivized to to take care of themselves, lest they get sick. Um, but now when people are fully vaccinated, that's not, that personal risk is not gonna be as immediate. Um, so I think that, you know, people should be smart. They should, uh, if you're gonna go to a gym, certainly I think we should start to normalize our lives again, but um, because being vaccinated does protect you. Um, but um, if you go to a gym, you know, you wanna know what their policies are, are, um, are people who are unvaccinated coming to the gym too? If they are, then you just want to be extra careful, um, and and you know make sure you wear your mask where you can, make sure you sanitize when you can. Um, I would say try to do as much as you can, um, uh, as many of the behaviors you have been doing. Um, we're just sort of allowed to do more things now, and I think that we should try to practice as much of the personal hygiene and, and safety practices that we we were. Um, for now, um, I think we're still kind of in a, in a bit of a vulnerable space with this pandemic. Things could get out of hand again. Um, we are going to uh, incrementally, we're going to keep getting to a, a safer and safer and more normal and more normal society over time. But um, these early days of like having full vaccination, I, I don't think they're the right time to kind of just completely go back to normal. Um, I think we're still concerned that um, there are these variants floating around, and some of these variants are evading some of the vaccines. Um, and for the for the most part, people seem to be still quite well protected from the variants. But and like I said earlier, it's just a matter of time before there's a mutation that's going to require a different vaccine. And so, yeah. 
uh, we want to we want to do our best, even if we're not personally at risk. We want to do our best to try to um, stop the transmission of the virus, um, even though we might not be personally at risk of of ending up in the hospital if we get it. And uh, yeah, no, and and forgive me if uh, this is not your uh, area of expertise, but with regards to what the variants are, they for what we understand, they are stronger than uh, the original strains. Is it possible that the, it could be even more stronger? Uh, should the uh, the variants mutate into something more? Like, uh, what are the possibilities? It, it, like, uh, could this uh, could this variant be a drop in the bucket? What can potentially happen mm -hmm. yeah uh, yeah yes absolutely i mean uh viruses are very um effective at surviving and they do that by um yeah exploiting every opportunity to transmit and uh, and infect a host and um they mutate sometimes and um they're mutating, and many of those mutations are pointless and useless for in terms of their uh, danger to us. But um, sometimes uh, it's just natural selection. Sometimes there's going to be a mutation that happens that it, it's totally random. But it, yeah, it just it makes it possible for vaccinated people to become infected and to have a serious consequence from that infection. I'm saying that could happen. Sure. Um, and um, and then uh, it'll all of a sudden become a problem again. And this is what happens every year with the flu. Um, we now have the flu. The flu has been endemic since um, it's for the last hundred years, really. Um, and it just kind of is always mutating a little bit. And uh, pharmaceutical companies are always kind of um, trying to develop a, a new vaccine, um, slightly different from the last vaccine that that uh, is effective against this year's variety. And so we're probably moving towards a, a, um, a world where this coronavirus is endemic, meaning that it's it's just here. It's here, it's in low levels. It's not like a something you're in danger of dying from all the time, but uh, it's always gonna be slightly mutating and we're just gonna have to keep an eye on it. And there might be times when yeah, we have to like roll out a new vaccine and um, and ask people to be really cautious. And, you know, hopefully we don't have to go back to like uh, lockdowns and quarantines. Um, but uh, yeah, it could certainly get really bad again. Um, yes. So we, we need yeah. to be really careful. And, and we need to realize that being vaccinated doesn't magically make you um, uh, uh, unable to be infected by coronavirus. Invincible, vaccines, yeah. yeah. Vaccines do not prevent you from being infected. What vaccines do is they, if you get infected, they help your body protect itself. And so the fact that we can all still, even if we're double vaccinated, the fact that we can all still get infected means we can all still transmit. And that means that to those unvaccinated people, whether they're, you know, COVID deniers, whether they're kids, whether they're older people who have health conditions that prevent them from being vaccinated, those people can still get very sick. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, and, I, I, yeah. Sorry, okay. please, please. No, no, I, I guess. Uh, and uh, one concern that I had because I jumped at the opportunity of getting that first vaccine. Uh, it was uh, middle of the week. It was uh, an overnight pop-up clinic. And I uh, made myself a cup of coffee, waited in line and uh, four hours later at 4 a.m. in the morning, I uh, got the vaccine, uh, reported to work uh, at my home office, and uh, then uh, got a fever of near 108 and uh, basically took a nap when I was supposed to be working. But uh, it was worth it was worth it to the T. And now that I'm uh, fully vaccinated, uh, you know, doing everything that I can. But and uh, you, have of course, alluded to the fact that we as a fully vaccinated people can still get coronavirus. Uh, sorry, yeah, I still get infected, excuse me. But I, of course, am concerned at the false sense of security that this could potentially have. I, you know, whatever this, uh, this uh, 
the COVID-19 strain is, is that it's however new it is, the vaccine is that much newer and we just don't have that, uh, that uh, I guess, uh, time to uh, that uh, grace period of uh, seeing how, like uh, what the results are. So the gray area is just uh, so concerned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think people should still kind of take it seriously. And, um, and so, you know, coming back to your original question, like, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna have more and more opportunities to do the things we, we love to do, and have, you know, really valiantly denied ourselves of um, for quite a long time now. And, uh, and that's great. We just need to keep taking it seriously and, and keep kind of uh, being as precautious as we can be. Um, yeah and uh well speaking of uh taking it seriously it's definitely up for debate on uh, whether the international olympic committee took the covid19 pandemic seriously uh, of course the tokyo olympics were <laughs> excuse me uh scheduled for 2020 but they postponed it to uh this year uh, as well as the european championships and uh Tokyo and the country of Japan is going through a very difficult time with COVID. Uh, it's reported that uh, less than 40% of people are uh, uh, with uh, have one dose and uh, just over a quarter are fully vaccinated. Uh, as an epidemiologist, uh, your reaction uh, to the IOC and the insistence that the games go on? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm... I'm I'm a pretty like pragmatic person, so I think I would not I would not have an Olympic Games um, right now um, because of just from as an epidemiologist, the concept of bringing people from all over the world into one place and then sending them back to their homes is just like accelerant on a fire for a pandemic. It's just gonna for a global pandemic, like it's just gonna. Um, potentially the potential um setback uh to the world is even just that potential i think for me i, I would be much more precautious but so that's my that's my kind of reaction as an epidemiologist but i i'm pragmatic i mean i know that these are these are games that have been planned for a very long time with massive investments from country you know the country of japan and from um uh the ioc i guess i mean i i think that there's really no mechanism to to stop the games from happening because the host country and the ioc are definitely going to want to not just lose everything that they've planned for <laughs> so you know people can protest but um this is kind of how power plays out in the world and so that the games are going to happen and so um the next you know, uh, thing you know yeah. doctor uh sorry i i, I and uh, i could totally uh uh appreciate uh that uh, uh your point now and, and i do agree with it it's just that uh I, the games did uh take place uh, the summer and winter olympics did take place in the same calendar year and uh i i don't know how uh uh, enthralled you are with the Olympics in the first place, but it seems that the IOC does kind of roll with uh, their on their own uh, to their own beat. And, mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know what logistics are like and so on, but and obviously uh, I believe uh, the Tokyo Games were awarded in 2013, give or take. So seven is usually about seven, eight years uh -huh. in terms of time frame i personally was really excited to uh see tokyo as an olympic host city uh because of the world status that uh tokyo has but i i i just think and and kudos to them for delaying it uh the one year mm -hmm. however you did it <laughs> one for one year why not do it yeah. a second year <laughs> yeah yeah i know i think like that's the that's kind of the logical move um and that's why, like, I, I kind of am assuming that this is just about um, power and money. I mean, this is just because they didn't want to lose um, this. They, did, they didn't want to lose more than they had already lost, is sure. what I'm guessing. 
Sure. And and so I think like the next best thing is that they operate these games in a highly, highly careful way. Um, and in a way that really doesn't, and then it seems like there are kind of holes and leaks and um, there are people getting infected. There are outbreaks. Um, there are people, there are, there are failures in their, in their plan. Like I, I kind of read about how, you know, people have to come and do their two weeks of quarantine and then they can start strolling around Tokyo um, and like starting to leave the Olympic bubble and kind of interacting with people in, in the city where there is mm. a raging pandemic happening. And that's just terrible. That's a terrible idea because you might've come into the country and quarantined for two weeks, but you're still interacting with, um, uh, you're still interacting with other Olympians in that bubble um, in some ways, and you still could pick up an effect, an infection. Um, and then, so I, I don't know, they're, they're just sort of taking like the two week quarantine rule that we kind of all um, do when it, when you're leaving your country and coming back home and applying it to a situation where, um, okay, well, they've come from another country, they've come to Tokyo, make them stay for two weeks and if they in quarantine and if they don't have coronavirus, then they can just move around freely. But um, they could, they, there's, there's many ways they could pick up a coronavirus infection within the Olympic bubble. Uh, I think in those two weeks, um, and uh, because they're not they're not like a hundred percent quarantined, uh, they are there to kind of work with their teams, and train people, and you know, do whatever they're doing there. Um, and uh, and so I don't know. I think that's just emblematic of the fact that like it's really near impossible to run an event that big in a way that's going to be really safe. I guess it comes back to the way you know what, our last conversation, like if you want to do something like that, then do it in a total bubble. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that I'm reading that people are actually able to leave that bubble um, and, and stroll around and be a tourist in, in Tokyo, I, I think it's not a great idea. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, I don't think the games should have happened. They are happening. Um, I think, okay, if they're going to happen, you better do it really carefully. And I don't know that it's really happening really carefully. So that's kind of a, like a, my dumbed down version of what I think about the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, uh, doctor, finally, uh, obviously, and, uh, we, uh, did, uh, allude to this in the beginning that the vaccine and, uh, those, uh, and taking the vaccine is such a polarizing topic from a personal standpoint, from a political standpoint. Uh, did you predict that this kind of reluctance was going to happen uh, from those who are not interested in taking the vaccine? And I, I guess the follow-up question is, is that, you know, you as an epidemiologist have this uh, vast knowledge of, uh, you know, uh, social factors and so on. And I, I obviously, I, I don't know if this is an impossible question to answer, but, uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you know, uh, a lay person like me didn't have the access to information that I do. Uh, like, I, I am curious as well as like, uh, was epidemiology uh, in question, uh, you know, back those days, due to the fact, uh, because there wasn't that kind of information that all of us have uh, courtesy of our smartphones. Do you, do you get what I'm uh, kind of? Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I think like the answer is that epidemiologists were not surprised. Um, uh, public health people, I would say more accurately, were not surprised because there's always been people who are suspicious and distrustful of government. I mean, an, a really easy example would be water fluoridation. Um, water fluoridation is something that, um, happens in most um, advanced uh, economies um, when you can afford to fluoridate water at a, on a you do it because it, it protects so many people from dental decay um, and saves the money when like especially here where like dental care is not publicly funded so people have to pay for that um, and where your dental health can affect the rest of your body's health um, uh, and so we fluoridate water because we know that it vastly reduces the amount of cavities that people get. 
but there has always been people who are um, anti-fluoridation. Um, there's been smaller communities, even here in Ontario, where we do have, you know, smartphones and access to all the most advanced knowledge, even just in the last decade that have like um, protested to the point that their local governments have stopped fluoridating water um, because they want to remain in office because they want to like, you know, cater to their their populations. And so, yeah, this is no different. This is just the same kind of minority of the population that will distrust and that does not believe and that, you know, um, won't listen to reason. Um, and so, yeah, I think it was expected that there was going to be people. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty heartened that it looks like we're on pace probably to have about 80% of the population in Ontario um, fully vaccinated. Like maybe it's just going to take a few more months, but based on how many have gotten a first dose and um, it, it looks like, you know, we'll probably convince about 80% of the population to get the vaccine. And that's great. Um, that's a pretty good number. Um, but it's not surprising that there is like a, a hardcore minority. So, yeah. And uh, lately in the news, there has been uh, talk of uh, whether uh, those who are not fully vaccinated are not permitted to go into uh, public uh, establishments. And it'd be really interesting to see, especially uh, since the pandemic started, uh, the main issue was the rights of those and uh, whether they were willing or uh, not willing to take that vaccine. Uh, you know, Doctor, uh, once again, uh, it's uh, really great to uh, have a uh, uh, conversation of this kind of insight. Uh, you know, this is obviously uh, one of the most uh, memorable uh, times of our lives because this is something that uh, we really haven't experienced and uh, the world hasn't really experienced in the past hundred years uh, to have uh, this kind of conversation with somebody as uh, versed as yourself it's a treat it really is uh, thank you so much uh, for this and uh, once again uh, I really hope that you and yours are doing well and keep you safe thanks a lot Randy I appreciate you having me back on and uh, and same to you I hope everyone stays well and um, uh, let's hope that uh, the next year is a lot better than the last year. <laughs> here, here. Dr. Kathan Shankardas is an epidemiologist for Wilfrid Laurier University. And uh, to that, we are going to bid a fond adieu for Dr. Shankardas. I am Randy Kure. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter at What's Up Podcast. We will talk to you next time. Like